Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is um, June 2nd, 2021, and we're ready to begin our worship service. Let's have prayer. Father, thank you for this hour we have together. We are so grateful to be able to come together and, and review and study and, and to look at your thoughts. And we pray that we will have uh, what you need for us to worship in spirit and in truth. And that is our devotion and dedication and humility toward your word. So we pray for Word is Truth Christian Church. We pray for those who are here. And we are asking that you will give us the proper fellowship that we desire so that we can come to know you better. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. 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 All right. So we, as you know, our course of study is in John chapter, not John, Romans chapter 9. And we've we got some aggressive, we're looking at a few verses. Uh, I think we're going to 9, 12 through 14, if we can get through them. We will see. And, um, but we'll take a moment, no rush, to to see if there are thoughts, questions, ideas out there. The floor is open. Um, I, you know, I had a little question. I had a, I have a question, but again, uh, we're not there yet. So <laughs> take your I'm time. Just leave it. But go I'm, ahead and ask. I'm continue it. to table it. Uh, but I was reading commentary and it took me to Malachi um, Malachi chapter 2 and again it repeated the New Testament saying about Jacob I loved and Esau I hated and it also went into detail in Malachi 2 to describe how um how he utterly destroyed every vestige of anything from Esau. And so that's just to note, that's chapter I, I, one, verses two through five. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I'm I just sorry. wanted to right, I just right. wanted to clarify. Yeah, I'm looking now and it is one yeah. verse two. Excuse me. And it says he turned this hill country country into wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Uh, so, you know, we're just going to table this. I have several questions, but I, I, I just, you know, I reading commentaries, and it's, it's really not our business, but whether Esau was saved or not. I mean, I was looking at this verse, in Malachi, it doesn't sound like, I mean, he utterly destroyed uh, everything that Esau, and he, you know, his inheritance, you know, he left to the desert jackals. In other words, everything from Esau, it seems like he destroyed here. 
That's absolutely so. No, it's okay. We're we're actually on that we're on that verse tonight. So well, not that verse, but we're on that phrase. So yes, it's a open discussion here, open for discussion, I should say. Um, I, if you read, it says um, same scripture. Jacob, uh, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau's Jacob? Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated, and I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to, a des to the desert jackals. Eden may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins, but this is what the Lord Almighty says, they may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a, a people always under the wrath of, of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. Yeah. So we're going to cover some of this later, but some of the thoughts but, uh, in, in the notes, you probably will see some, some of this. But... Uh, Interesting to me that when I read what it says about Jacob and Esau, you know, before the twins were born or had done nothing good or bad. So when I read that, I have to wonder, okay, so God's choice in whatever he's choosing them for is not related to whether they have done good or bad. So God is saying the choice that I'm choosing Jacob over Esau is not based on the behavior or the goodness or lack thereof. It is based on my own sovereign choice. So, so you can't have it. I don't think you can have it both ways. In fact, so I was reading uh, one of the commentaries Today, in fact, it was today. And so he said, he quoted that verse, and he went on to talk about how evil Esau was, and he used this verse to justify it. And I thought to myself, wait a minute. So, so then he said, God in his foreknowledge knew that Esau was going to be bad, so therefore he didn't choose him. So my thought was, well, you can't have it both ways. You can't have the verse that says that God chose Jacob and it had nothing to do whether they did good or bad. But then later say, oh, well, the reason why he didn't choose Esau was because he did bad. Right? Can we have it both ways? I, ask. I don't think you can have it both ways. Um, um, I, I, but, you know... I don't know if this is a matter of salvation is not a matter of whether we are uh, good or bad. So, um, I, you know, judgment that he brought on Esau is kind of like the judgment that, in other words, uh, he violated something and, and God judged it. And not only him, his prodigy he judged. Everything he touched, he judged. So, 
So let's just say, could could Esau have been a believer and still been judged in this manner? Most certainly. Could Esau have been an unbeliever and been judged in this manner? Yeah, I I would say yes too. So it's it's hard to imagine. Remember, salvation doesn't matter. Uh, Esau was born with a sin nature, just like uh, everyone else. So yes, the answer is yes. He did wicked in the eyes of the Lord, and but he is not the chosen one. When he so earlier in the verse, he talks about I have loved you says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? What Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And and so when he's saying, so there was one, I think it was uh, J. Vernon McGee. I, I read his comment. One, the one I'd read and I mentioned earlier was Chuck Smith. The, the other one I read was uh, J. Vernon McGee. His question was, people, he said, people ask him, how, how could God hate Esau? What was, how could he do it before the twins were born? Why would he do that? And so uh, J. Vernon McGee's answer was, well, my question is not how could he hate Esau, but how could he love Jacob? So I said, oh, okay, I see. So there is... There is a lot of thought around this. I, mean, I, I will certainly tell you what I think as we go on, but it is, I, I don't think the language in Genesis tells us whether or not he was saved or lost. It is obvious that Esau wanted the, the blessing, the birthright. Hebrew says he wept bitterly over this. In fact, he was so angry with Joseph, as you, you go, Jacob, as you're going to see, uh, that he wanted to kill him. He wanted to take his life. He was so mad that Jacob cheated him out of what he felt should have been his. That he, he wanted him, and this went on for many years. And, uh, and it says he wept bitterly. And when you read in Genesis, you also see Hebrews isn't giving us more information. We can find that information in Genesis that he, after he, he begged Isaac, can you can you change it? And Isaac was like, no, you can't change it. And he he just stood there and wept. So could he have? I mean, could it? It really wasn't about him. It's about God. What God wanted. It wasn't about Esau. So I'm taking it for, for that statement to be profound, you know, which was the prophecy before they were born. So it had nothing so that tells me it has nothing to do with what the twins whether the twins were good or bad, or some foreseen goodness in or some foreseen badness in one of them. Uh, so, uh, I think in, in our notes last week, I hope it was last week, so uh, here, and, and in my notes in point number two, it's, and had done neither good or bad in that phrase, so I said, even though God knows what the twins' life lives would be, he is making the point to us that his choice is not based on their deeds, 
In other words, they didn't earn it. So when you think about it, if somebody were to say, well, you see, Jacob, he, he, was, he was good. He, he followed God's ways, and, he, and that's why God chose him. I think that goes against what God is saying here. He had done nothing, either good or bad. And so my second point is, God is making a choice from his sovereignty. They did nothing good to earn the call, and they did nothing bad to disqualify them from the call. So good, bad, there is no one who does good, not even one, as we know. That's Romans 3. So then the statement is set aside, is to set aside the receiving of the law and works as privilege. The Jews thought their attempted law-keeping brought them favor. So that's why he's saying that in the first place. Because the Jews saw themselves as righteous and the Gentiles as unrighteous. So God was trying to show them, remember, why is he bringing, why is the apostle bringing this information forward? It's to show Israel that he has every right to choose whom he, whomever he wants to choose. And that's, that's one of their uh, things that Israel had wrong. And then that salvation was not by keeping the law. It's just because Israel had the law, they thought that salvation was about keeping the law or how good they were. So Israel thought they were good. But God is reminding them that had nothing to do with Jacob or Esau's goodness or badness, if that is a word. It had nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with God's sovereign choice. So th- that that's how I would answer that question. And um, so even though there is a lot of people, a lot of theologians who would answer it and say, uh, and this is part of when we think about election, the Arminian view is just that, that those, those people interpreting that are coming from the Arminian perspective, which says, that God looked down the corridors of time and he saw who was going to believe and who wasn't. And he decided to choose people based on those facts, you know, of, you know, and, and that's not the case. That's not the case at all. Because remember, this whole thing isn't about salvation necessarily. It's about who gets to participate. Who's going to be called to participate in God's eternal purpose? So those God, God foreknow, foreknew, those he foreknew, those he predestined, those he called, those, all of those people are special. It doesn't mean that other people around them are not saved. It just means that God has a special purpose for these people that he's getting ready to, to call. So um, that's how we, we want to look at election. Even when we think about us, right, our election, God didn't choose us for any particular goodness on our part. He chose us out of his own will, his own calling, uh, his own decision to choose us. There are some differences in how he did Israel, which he created a new racial species, and then he 
hath his priest nation, as opposed to individually choosing Jews and Gentiles to, uh, and calling them to be in Christ. There's some differences, for sure, and we will point those out. But the words themselves still carry with them the same meaning. So it's just like the guy Chuck Smith. You know, his thought was, well, uh, Israel, uh, let me, I'll, I'll even get it, I'll try to read it to you real quick. Because it really exemplifies what I wanted to say about the whole thing. Yeah, so he says, uh, why does he say it? Oh, wait a minute, I'm in the wrong verse, excuse me. But that's the point of the matter right there, the question you just asked. You will find a lot of people either they will come down on the Calvinist reform side or the Arminian side. And we are not on either side in terms of our understanding. So here, Jacob I love, Esau I hate it. So this is, this is Chuck Smith's rendition of it. I'll just see if I can get to it. I think it's worth hearing and just evaluating. So, if you don't have Chuck Smith, you just sh should know it's it's uh, it's free. It's not a no cost. So he says, um, here it is. I think nine thirteen or fourteen. Immediately he's talking about Esau. I love love less. He says, as it is written, I'm Jacob. I have loved, but Esau I have loved less. That's <laughs> the way he said it. Immediately we might say, well, that isn't fair. And Paul does anticipate that reaction in verse 914. He says, what should we say then? Is, is, there, um, is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid, right? How can God make that statement of children before they are ever born, declaring, I love one and hate the other, and I have chosen the one over the other? That doesn't seem, that doesn't seem, un, that doesn't seem unfair, doesn't it? No, no, no. It says that does seem unfair, doesn't it? Don't look so sanctimonious. Of course it does. However, what we must take into consideration, and we don't always take into consideration in these things, is that God knows all things from the beginning. And God knew the entire life history of Jacob and Esau before they were ever born, even as he knew your life history before you were ever born. And because he knew that, Esau would be a man of the flesh, and Jacob would be a man of the spirit, though he was a deceiver, a coniver, which means a conniver, that's what it is, not coniver, <laughs> and everything else, God knowing all these things, and it is through the foreknowledge that God made that decision and that choice. The elder shall serve the younger. So you can really so so we can't really fault God and say, well, they didn't do anything and God made the choice. No, God already knew what they were going to do, even as uh, uh, even as God already knows what you are going to do. So so you see his argument. So that's why I meant you can't have it both ways. You can't say on the one hand that God's choice of them has nothing to do with whether they are good or bad, but then later to, to, to only say that, oh, wait a minute, but it is God's choice. 
And he made that choice based on whether they would be good or bad. So you, hopefully you understand where I'm coming from. It's it's clear. Um, whose commentary was that? Um, That's uh, uh, the one I'm reading is uh, Chuck Smith. So I if, don't have that. If you don't have it, you could download it. It's free. It's it's in the list of commentaries okay. you could download. So and there, in fact, there are a lot okay. other commentaries that um, you can get beyond the ones that I I chose. So. You know, if you're looking, you might come to some that, you know, or you like more or less, you know. And the ones you like you like less, you could also get rid of. You don't have to have them sitting there if you don't like them. So it takes a little bit of uh, adjustment. So, other thoughts out there? Or follow-up thoughts? Yeah, I have a, I have a thought. Sure, Dave. Uh, hey, go on. And she was saying, why this happened to, to me? And God told us you have two nations that's wrestling that, that, that beside you. Well, I know the first one, Jacob was called Esau. I mean, Jacob was called Israel. What was Esau nation? Um, it says it right there in the context. I would have to go back to Genesis. and. Well, I'm, I'm driving, so I, I, I can't read. I'm, I'm driving. No, I'm not saying you should go to Genesis. I'm saying I would have to go back to Genesis and read through uh, what what those nations were called. Uh, I know they. He said he would make. Now here, here again, uh, if you go back to Genesis, you also find that God blessed uh, Esau, and he told he told Hagar, I'm, uh, "I hear you crying." and and there's going to be, a, you're pregnant, and um, and God, uh, he said, I'm going to bless Esau. He's, but the point, it's not that God didn't bless him, or I, I don't know uh, why he would bless him. If he, you know, he wasn't the promised son. But other than the fact that he was Abraham's son, but not the blessed son, not the one who was to receive the promise. So that question uh, is raised there as well. Why would God uh, bless him? So on, on the other hand, then you see what happened with what did Esau do with that blessing? We saw later in Malachi where Fred pointed out was that uh, was not positive. Esau turned out to be uh, to, to make a mess of things. So and, and but but listen. <laughs> As we were saying, don't think there were some kings, some kings in Israel, who did horrible things before the Lord, and then it would be the next king, and it says, and this king did did all worse than the one before him, and then it keeps going on and on. I can tell you, when it ter- in terms of wickedness, a lot happened in the Old Testament, and it wasn't just. But what we find is Esau, and that was. Those were kings that were related to Israel. Here, we're talking about somebody who, who never was a part of Israel, even though they were Abraham's offspring. So Esau would also find, fall into that, his, his descendants would fall into that category. Dave, I will take a look and answer your question, but uh, 
I I don't want to take the time at, at right at the moment to to read through and find out unless somebody else has already done it um, we will we will take our time uh, and find that but it's right there okay. in the Well, I know Esau. No, 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 <clears throat> go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just no, going to say. No, <laughs> both of us are talking at the same time. Esau, we know he had an Arab That's right. Yeah, that that's the the most important thing here, and I don't. You know, I was just going to say that Esau. I did read he married. He took a wife from uh, Ishmael's descendants. So the the woman he married was from Ishmael's descendants. I read that, but um, like I said, I'm sure it, it's somewhere told out in the scriptures. In fact. Um, where we were in Malachi, saying that the, the, the nation, the, where Esau was, was, uh, he doesn't say exactly which one, where what, what it was called, but he's talking about Esau, I have turned his hill country into a wasteland. Edom may say, uh, though we have been crushed, we have, so maybe it's Edom, Dave, as I'm looking in Malachi. Edom. I'm hoping you can hear. All right, other thoughts out there? It's quiet. Okay, I just want to make sure I haven't lost everybody. Anybody? It's definitely quiet. I'm here. Oh, okay. So I did, I did. Thank you. Uh, you've sufficiently answered that question. Yeah, it's a fun question. Thank you for for asking it. And then we're going to get right into some of the thoughts right here. All right. So so let's. Um, oh, so that good and bad stuff I was reading was on uh, in the notes on five twenty six where we went through that last week. So um, let's move on then to. Since I don't think there are other questions, we'll just move. And it's, the time is, is fleeting, so let's move into the notes on 6-2. So Romans 9, 12 through 14. She was told the older will serve the younger. Now, by the way, I took a phrase from uh, 9, 12 and covered it last, excuse me, last week. That phrase is not because of works but because of him who calls. And then she was told the older shall serve the younger. Now, we did cover not because of works, but because of him who calls last week. So just to note, if you're wondering why we're skipping a verse, we haven't skipped it, is in last week's um, notes and presentation. So it says, she, and this is the rest of 12 and 13 and 14. So she was told, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, 
but Esau I hated. What should we say then? Is God, is there, in, is, is there injustice on God's part? By no means. So in your notes, none of us can fit God into a box any more than we ourselves can live in a box. While tradition and culture control many of our decisions and actions, there is always that freedom to change, take a different path, and even rebel. As we review the record, let us give God the freedom of expression we give ourselves. So that's the thought. Um, we have to see God as having his own purpose. I know we are trying to hold God to our standards, trying to uh, make him walk the line of our reasoning. But God is saying, no, <laughs> I'm God. And that is not how it works. So anyway, we're going to go through this. We've been talking about this whole thing uh, for several verses now. And we have talked about Abraham. We're, now we went through Isaac. And now we're also now talking about Jacob. And the reason is because they're unique in the way that God brought them forward. He chose each one. It, he didn't let Abraham, Isaac, or Rebekah or make the choice to when it comes to this and all of the women whether it was Sarah with Abraham was she was barren whether it was uh, Rebecca she was barren and there was also some barrenness with Rachel as well she she did not have kids until God uh, allowed it so there was very very uh, clear direction from God about how he wanted this to work. And what is it that we are asking? Uh, what, what is it that is God wants to work? Is it that they are saved? Or is it that God is forming the nation Israel? <laughs> so I think we have already answered that question many times. I hope you haven't forgotten. So we're going to dig right in to the context because it's going to take us right back to where we were. So here we are. She was told, this is the first phrase and I, and the question is who was told Isaac Jacob Esau no Rebecca now why do I, I say that it's because you would think this is an important point you if Jacob is going to be the one chosen why didn't God tell Isaac seemed like he would have told he told Abraham uh, he told you know uh, he was very clear well, he, he, he didn't tell Isaac, or he told Rebecca. That's who, who he chose, chose to tell. So let's see the record. Genesis 25. Let's see. Let's go to Genesis 25. And I don't want you to get too bogged down in these verses, but it's, it's good that you know the story, because if... Paul is uh, relating these stories, we should have some, something familiar that rings a bell when we read what Paul is saying. We should know. So I'm going to read 22 through 34. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, 
Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people with a str will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. His name is just like that, Jacob. That's what it means. Uh, supplanter, someone who grabs the heel or trips up somebody, you know. So Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. Uh, and we already talked about this last time, how there was 20 years of time from the time that God told uh, Rebekah prayed and, and then God says, okay, I hear your prayer. You're going to have a son. Don't worry. Well, that was 20 years later that she eventually had the son. So verse 27, the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So you already can see some problems here, right? Developing. So, so notice, uh, it goes on, once Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why uh, he was called Edom. So Dave, to Dave's question, remember we, we answered his question with Edom. 31, Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Now, here, Jacob is always um, trying to be slick. This is a slick move on Jacob's part. Why not give him some of the food? He's famished. What is this bartering? So look, I am about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, and then he got up and left. So Esau, so this is the commentary. So Esau despised his birthright. Well, he didn't care about it. That's what he means. He, he, he was hungry, so he gave up, and he didn't, it didn't matter. So uh, what do we get from this? Uh, this is where she was told. This is where she come, came to understand. This is not necessarily where she began to make some decisions to try to, uh, to get Jacob in place instead of Esau. But she was told, right, the older will serve the younger. Right? This, this is what she was told. So it's not a, that was, and the Lord told her. The, verse 23, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Right? He didn't say it to Isaac. Isaac had no knowledge of this. So just to, I just wanted to make that point where she was told. So point B, God spoke to Rebekah. God spoke and Rebekah listened. So when I say Rebekah listened, she didn't forget what the Lord told her. 
she, <laughs> as you're going to see, played a major role in this. And the question is that I have, as I don't know, maybe you should as well. And this is all played out in Genesis 27, and we are not going to read the whole chapter. If you would like to read this whole chapter, you can. But I don't want to take all the time how... Um, Isaac was, I'll, I'll read some of it in the beginning. When 27.1, when Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am. He answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. In other words, it's probably going to be soon. Now then, get your equipment your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country and hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like to bring, uh, I like to bring it, uh, I like, and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game. Now I'm going to stop here. So, you see how all this happened and developed. And you already probably know the story. If you don't, take some time to read it. But the question I have is, Did God want Rebekah to do what she did? And I don't have an answer for that. God only told Rebekah, Rebecca did what she did. Now, didn't it says before the twins were born, God made a choice. But then he told Rebecca what that choice was. Rebecca made some, she started moving her feet when it came time, and quick too. And it was, in fact, as you read in 27, you're going to say, as soon as Jacob left out of there, dressed up as Esau and playing the role, Esau came. He was ready. And there's another thought. I know me and Dave were talking earlier. This was, I don't know, was it last week or a week before? But just remember, they're twins. So they looked and could have easily sounded very much alike. Isaac couldn't see anymore. So just imagine, you got two twin boys. And so it wasn't so much so that Isaac, you know, oh, he made a terrible mistake. Well... There was some conniving going on, but just remember the boys were twins. So very similar in height. Everything probably sounded the same. The only difference was Esau was hairy. Jacob was not. So, but they fixed that. So the question I have, did God want Rebecca to do what she did? <laughs> That's a good question. Because it's very conniving, very... And Jacob had to lie to his face. He said, who are you? He says, I'm Esau, your son. He lied to Isaac's face. I, I don't know. if that, Would God have brought this about in a different way? He allowed this to happen, that Isaac blessed him. And obviously, these oaths carried a lot of weight. Uh, back then, because they didn't necessarily have contracts, you know, like we do today, you know, got to get a notary and all this stuff. They pretty much worked on their word, and they took oaths. 
So it's, it's interesting. Uh, I, I can't, I don't have an answer to the question. Perhaps God would have uh, done it differently, but he, we already knew what his preference was, and so did Rebecca. God did not stop her. So it's kind of interesting uh, to think about. I don't have the answer. Maybe one of you have, has given us some thought, and, and we can weigh in as well. But we're going to move on. Point C. We can certainly wonder and ask more questions, but ultimately it was God's choice that mattered. So we see another instance where Joseph uh, is almost killed by his brothers, beaten, thrown into a hole, and then sold into slavery. And, and then they went and told the father this big lie. You know, it was animals that came and killed them. And they put blood on his, his coat and, and all that. So God allowed that to happen. And Joseph was sold into slavery. We know the story of how he ascended to be the right hand of Pharaoh and then saved so many people's lives through all that God has told them. And the dreams that Jacob had, that Joseph had, came true, just as God said. How it happens is different, okay, uh, than you would expect. So the free will of man does coexist with God's uh, sovereign will. So we could, we could say that. So we could, we could ask more questions, but ultimately it is God's choice that mattered. God wanted Jacob no matter what. And so it, that is how it worked out. Let's move on to point two. So she was told what? The older will serve the younger. And the first thought is, I would say, that's what happened. If we look at Genesis 27, 32 to 38, um, I'll just scroll down there's so much in Genesis 27 um, about this so his father Isaac asked him who are you I'm your son he answered your firstborn Esau and this is actually when Esau came in Isaac trembled violently and said who is it then that hunted and brought it to hunted game and brought it to me I ate uh, just before you came in and I blessed him and indeed he will be blessed when Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. But he said, Your, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, Isn't, the, is, isn't he rightly named Jacob? Uh, this is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright. And now he has taken my blessing. Then he asked, Haven't you reserved any blessing for me? This is Esau asking Isaac. Isaac answered Esau, I have made him Lord over you and have made all his relatives, his servants. Uh, and I have sustained him and with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. And Esau wept aloud, cried openly. His father Isaac answered him, Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. 
You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But you will grow restless. You will throw his yoke off uh, from off your neck. Esau held a grudge against Jacob. Because of the blessing his father had given him, he said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near. In other words, I know my father's going to die soon. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So when Rebekah was told that her older son Esau had said what he had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, Your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. <coughs> so that's enough. I just wanted to read a little bit there. But there you see, just as God said, the older will serve the younger. Yeah, there it is. Um, and then, so the promise was confirmed through Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob. So if we go to 28, Genesis 28, 10 to 15, so that's what, uh, what Isaac said. But if we go to 10... Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. But when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching the heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your to you and your descendants the land of which you are lying, where he was just resting. Uh, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. So basically, he reiterated the promise that went to Abraham and he and to Isaac, and now it rests with Jacob. So this is uh, God personally seeing, you know, coming to Jacob, saying, "Jacob, now it's you. you I have chosen you, and now this is how it's going to go down." So there it is. So the birthright which belonged to Esau. God personally redirected it to Jacob. This is point C in the notes. Without Isaac's knowledge. So it was Esau's, except that God made a different choice. He redirected it. And sure enough, he didn't tell anybody but Rebekah. Point number three. And then here it is. As it is written, Jacob I loved but Esau I hated. So my first thought is another case of God's sovereign choice, Jacob and not Esau. We've been seeing this throughout when we talked about Abraham and Sarah, all the different directions that they wanted to go in, but uh, God capped it off each time and said, no, that's not the way it works. That's not what I want. So this is God, again, we got God's sovereign choice here. Now, there's no way that we can know what that is. In other words, as to why he chose Jacob over Esau. If we knew that, then we couldn't say that God cho chose of himself. He doesn't tell us 
why he chose Jacob over Esau. He doesn't give a... Well, the reason why I chose... If we had a verse like that, then I would be saying, okay, this is what God said. But we don't. So what do we have? We have God's sovereign choice. Jacob and not Esau. Point B, whenever anyone or anything threatened God's choice in the matter, God was very clear and dogmatic about his preference. So, so when we, and why, why am I saying this is because we're talking about hate. He says, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So what, what do we mean hated? Why such strong language? Because, because we're threatening here. God, well, Esau was threatening here to overturn God's uh, will. God said, no, it's Jacob I love. Esau, no, he's not the one chosen. I hate. He used a strong word, but he's really saying, don't press against what my sovereign will is. So there's a couple of verses here, and I want to point you to them. They're all in Genesis. First one is Genesis 15, 4 through 5. So Genesis 15, we'll go through them quickly. Then the word of the Lord came to him. And he's because this is all about Abraham trying to put his servant Eleazar of Damascus as the chosen person. Now, God, this is Abraham trying to circumcise God. I know you, you said you were going to give me a child, but I don't have any. So, right now, we're going to just we're going to make do with what we have here, and that's Eleazar. So, this is what God says, uh, with reference to that. He says. <laughs> In verses 4, he says, Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son whom who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up to the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. So it was very clear. God didn't say, Well, I'm thinking about Eleazar. Let me see. He is a good man. None of that. God said, no, that is, he will not be your heir because it's not going to be through Eleazar. Then Genesis 17 and verse 18, where God was very dogmatic as well here, uh, where you see, this is where Abraham said, uh, after he Abraham laughed, in God's face, he fell face down and he laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to me? This is 17. Born to me who is 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God. This is, this is Abraham being more reasonable, he thinks, than God. If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but, yes, but your wife Sarah, right? In other words, Ishmael can live under my blessing. I will bless Ishmael. Don't worry about that. But your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of twelve rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But of my, but my covenant, <laughs> my calling, 
I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you this time next year. I think he's very clear. So Abraham was trying to threaten what God's choice was. And God told him clearly. I mean, no, no equivocation. This is what he means. Don't even get in between what God's sovereignty is. And the last one we have is verse uh, chapter 21. Go to Genesis chapter 21. And this is 9 through 13. You also know this story. So uh, the child, I'll start at 8, 21, 8. The child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. So Isaac is here now, okay? But Sarah saw the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had borne to Abraham, was mocking. And she said to Abraham, this, this sounds pretty rough, right? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son, Isaac. So this is Rebecca, not Rebecca, but Sarah saying this. And she's saying this out of, you could call anger, because she's like, look, he's mocking Isaac, uh, Ishmael. And to get rid of, in other words, when he's, she said get rid of, she's like cast out. That's what the Hebrew word there means. Cast that woman out of the camp. Get rid of her. So how did Abraham take this? Verse 11, the matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. And Abraham loved that boy Ishmael. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. So he's going to bless them, Ishmael and all that. They'll be blessed, but they're not going to be the son. They're not going to, it's not going to be the, the formation, and they're not going to be patriarchs in the formation of the nation Israel. That's what they needed to know. So I'm saying, Jacob, I love Esau, I hate it. Uh, there's another thought is, you know, we could talk about the love, which I didn't actually include in the notes, but when God says he loves somebody, and even when it talks about us understanding the love that is in Christ, who we're in Christ, and what God has, he's chosen us in him before the creation of the world. And then John, it talks about Christ where he says, John 17, where he's praying, Father, you love me before the creation of the world. And then later in John 17, he says, for you love them just as you have loved me. So if we only look at love as like this, you know, this emotion where, you know, God just favors, you know, he just loves us. It, it, is, it has to do with choosing, putting us in his service, right? That's what it means. God loves us. And that's what it meant for Christ. Father, you love me before the creation of the world. What do you mean you love me before the creation of the world? It means that he put Christ in his service in a very very particular way that Christ is going to be a chosen individual one who uh, upon which the plan of the the father rests so love has to do with that same understanding when it we talk about love and this is where 
uh, in Ephesians 3 where it says, For us, and to know this love which goes beyond knowledge, that we may know the height, the depth, the width, the length, all that is related to the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. What do you mean? He's talking about the eternal plan that he has chosen in Christ. So that's what he's saying. And we, if we understand that, if we see eye to eye with God on that, then we are able to reciprocate and see our calling and to fulfill it with the same devotion that the Father has when he chose us. So that's important about love. We'll have to go over that more later. So point C, as it is written, the verse is a commentary. This is point C, 3C, many years later. And we already read Malachi 1, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, where it says, Jacob I loved, Esau I have hated. And so um, we should know that um, going into point D, remember Esau was not hated because he did bad things. Or was a bad person. That's Romans 9.11. Or there's a, there's a Genesis. It's quoting from a, a verse in Genesis. Where God said. Jacob I loved. Esau I hated. And before the twins were born. Or had done anything good or bad. Right, that God's election. You know is by his sovereign grace. So it, it's not because. Esau was a bad person. That God. Uh, did not choose him. And God made that very clear. It was about sovereign grace. So that was point D. We got to keep that in mind. Uh, and even though many years later, and we could say a lot of years later, over a thousand years later, uh, we saw what Esau had become, his, the nation, his descendants. Esau was long gone off the scene. But the descendants, the nation he was, that was uh, created through him uh, was wicked in the sight of God. And uh, God made some prophecies about that, that nation. So, uh, so it was hated. Esau was not hated because he did bad things. We just got to keep that in mind. That's what the scripture says. That's Paul's point. Point E, the result. Okay, so we're talking all this hatred. What is the result of, uh, you know, God, Jacob I love, but Esau hated? Esau was not God's choice for the formation of the nation Israel. God didn't say, well, I hate Esau so bad then, I'm going to cast him out, I'm going uh, I'm to uh, discipline him, I'm going to... He, he didn't say anything. Esau wept bitterly. God's comment was, hey, I haven't forgotten Esau, I, I will bless him. See, it wasn't that God said, well, Esau's so bad. That, no, he says before the twins had done, and this is before they were born, so there couldn't have been. Even though God knew what, what the result was, there couldn't have, he's letting us know that because he wants us to know that has nothing to do with their works. Nothing whatsoever. And sure enough, People get that mixed up when it comes to salvation right? all the time. People think, well, we're saved by grace, but God expects us to work. Well, what do you mean? Well, he, isn't salvation free? It's by grace. It's a gift of God. It's not of ourselves. Yeah, but God expects us to work. Yeah, but wait a minute. You can't say it's free on the one hand and it's not of ourselves and then tell me on the other hand, 
that he he expects us to work in order to uh, to be saved. So it, it's a contradiction of terms, and we you can't have it both ways. Either salvation is free, and it doesn't have to do with any works whatsoever, or it is not. Either it is or it is not the case. I contend that it is free, just like God said. It is not of ourselves, a gift of God, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. According to his mercy, he saved us. So, okay, so so point F, Esau being hated by God, means that God did not choose him in the formation of Israel. So let's look at the result of actually what happened. That's what it meant. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated, right? What, what did it, what's the result? What can we see? We can see that God was forming the nation Israel and Esau was not to be a part of it, but Jacob would be. So Jacob being loved means he's selected, chosen by God. So there are some scriptures on hate, love, hate, just so you can understand how it was used. So I'm going to turn to Matthew all right, this is the book of Matthew 10, 37. You probably know these verses. Just so you can see how it's used. It's very strong, but it doesn't necessarily mean hate in the sense of, you know, we hate uh, something. So here, verse 37. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So notice... Um, Jesus is talking about not worthy of him. Then let's turn to Luke 14 and 26. 14, 26. So it says, when the disciples... Oh, no, it's Luke. I'm sorry. Luke 14 and 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, so if we plug in hate to this, which is a sin, hate, hating, do you hate someone, you, you are a murderer, right? So that is literally, Jesus told the Pharisees, he says, you, are, you hate me, you're trying to kill me. You are, you are a murderer and you are just like your forefather. He was a murderer from the beginning. He had hate. Hate is equivalent to murder. So he's not telling us that he hates, right? He's, but it's a strong choice. It, God is very clear. He does not want Esau. He wants Jacob. And whenever people try to infringe on that, which Jacob, even though Jacob, you know, connived to get the blessing, it wasn't his choice. It was God's choice. And Esau wanted it bad. What if Isaac said, okay, 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 I'm going to let you have it. I mean, imagine. Well, God had to be very clear in the matter between Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. As we saw, it was reiterated through all of them. God restated the promise to each one as they received it. So, Hate does not mean hate your father, mother, wife, and yourself it, in that sense. It means that if you too, you are to prefer me over your father, your mother, your wife, 
your children, your brothers and sisters. Prefer me, my way, over all that. What's, and all of those things have, have to do with culture. And this had to do with Jews in particular. If you converted to, uh, you know, believing that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, you could be thrown out of the synagogue, ostracized from your family. Uh, they could hate you, but he's saying that you have to stand with me. If you love father and mother, you're not worthy of me, Jesus. You can't be my disciple. So th this is how hate is used. It is not necessarily the sin hate. It is, the, it is a definite decision for Christ. Right? And not, a, not for, uh, you know, to go against Christ. That's the point of Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. And like I said, if you look at the actual result, all it was was that, okay, God was being sure that Esau was not going to be selected for the call. Point number four. So what should we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. So this is my thinking on that. First one is the apostle is asking this question and directing it to the Jews. That that question is not for us, who are Gentile by uh, our origin, even though we're not Gentile anymore. We're in Christ, but our thinking that no, we're not asking that question. Is there injustice with God? Even though there are some changes, even though what God did with with choosing Jacob over Esau and Esau was supposed to get the birthright in terms of um, him being the oldest <coughs> sibling. <coughs> Excuse me. But God has a choice. So that's my point. <coughs> but his question is directed to the Jews. And how do I know? It's the context. If you look at the context, he's, he's talking about the nation Israel. And why is he even going down this road? Because in chapter 8, <clears throat> he said, who is he that condemns? Right? It is God who justifies. Who can, who can lay charge against those whom God has chosen? He's asking those questions to the Jews. Why is he asking those questions? Because the Jews have those objections in their heart. God is literally answering them through the Apostle Paul. So, again, what should we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? <clears throat> no, he's talking to the Jews. The answer is no. And point B, by the way, I cannot see any Jew objecting to the, form, the forming of the nation Israel. Can you? They're so proud of, of the nation that they have and who they are. Uh, the patriarchs are loved and revered. Without them, there is no Israel. So God is literally saying how Israel came into being. Don't forget that this is how it worked. It is through my choosing. In every case, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's, there's twists and turns there, but I made the choice each time. Israel, don't, they don't have a problem with God being sovereign. Not there. Their problem is now God is sovereign in choosing the church, and they don't like it. So point C, it is rhetorical sarcasm. I, I, both of those things, those words come into play here. 
What should we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Well, the Jews don't really think there is injustice. They know there is not injustice. So Paul's asking a rhetorical question, and he's throwing in sarcasm because he's picking on them or on their thinking about that the church cannot be elect. So it's rhetorical, but it's sarcasm because they know the answer to that question is no, God is not. There's no injustice. Well, if there was, they would have a problem with the formation of the nation Israel. But they have no problem with that. So Paul knows the answer, and the Jews do too. See, so, so he's saying now, you need to expand your understanding about God's sovereignty and what he can and cannot do. We, obviously, you were very liberal when it came to God being sovereign and making choices for Israel, but now... You're, you're being very strict and saying God can't do whatever he wants to do. So is there injustice on God's part? I'm just digging into the question a little more. Three things to think about. Why ask this question? Because God specifically chose the patriarchs. He specifically did. That's ex literally the point. I mean, if you thought there was injustice with God, you should have brought it up. In, in the formation of the nation Israel. But no, you're, you're proud there. Point two, no. There is no injustice. And God has a right to choose. That's the thought. And point three is, since God has the right to choose the patriarchs of Israel, he can choose the church if he desires. This is what Paul's point is, speaking directly to the Jew. And it's not about salvation at all. Point E, by no means, in other words, by no means at the end of the verse, no one that I know believes that God is unjust for choosing Jacob over Esau. No one. I don't know of anyone who thinks that. So absolutely not. I mean, so what about Israel? Do Jews think that God isn't? No, they don't believe it. Do Gentiles think that? No, they don't believe it. So, point F in closing, the question for Israel. This is the question I have for Israel. Since God will honor all the promises to Israel and has not forsaken them, which we know, Romans 11, 28 and 29, talks about even though they're enemies, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. So we know that God, whatever God promised Israel, he will deliver. So, so literally, God will honor all the promises to Israel and has not forsaken them. The question is, does he have the right to fulfill his eternal purpose in electing the church? That's the question. Israel has to answer. And, and I know... And that is what Paul is leading them to. He's going to give more evidence about his sovereignty and how it works and things that he has done in the world and exercise his volition, his sovereign volition in the world. And he's going to tell us more. But that is the crux of the matter. And that's what, that is why Israel is up in arms about the church. And you got all kinds of people, I told you, with replacement theology. They're, they're just saying, well, the Israel's gone. They have committed such heinous sins. 
that God has just cast them away. But that's what he asks in 11. Has God cast away his people which he foreknew? God forbid. And he goes on to say, I'm a Jew. I'm not cast away. And he's saying there's a, there's a calling right now for the Jew. If the Jew would believe in Christ by just simply placing their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they can have eternal life. And not only that, but if any, any man, whether Jew or Gentile, is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are gone. New things have come. God has something very special for the Jew and for the Gentile in this particular age. So, God is free to do what he wanted. In fact, the reason why we all exist in the first place, the reason we're here and there is an earth, a universe, is because God has a plan. God has an eternal purpose in creating all things. We're not just here through evolution. It is a plan by which God put into play that brought us all to where we are talking about this right now. So God is fulfilling his purpose. He is, he, and there are certain decisions where his sovereignty will, even though we have free will, it will impact time so that he can create and accomplish his purposes tells us what his plans are. He says, hey, I'm going to tell you prophecies. There's going to be a Messiah. He's coming through the seed of the woman and on and on. He's going, he's telling us his plans. But he created this whole thing of the free will of man, the universe, angels. He created it all. And it's according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We are going to have to stop at this point, but next week we will continue. It just continues more analogies to the point that God is making. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father. We, we are in awe of your sovereignty, of your choosing. We are watching as we live and breathe the unfolding of your eternal purpose. You have called us from eternity past, before time began. And now, in 2021, we are realizing the reach of that call. The reality of what you have called us to. We thank you for the grace that has been extended to us in this, in this particular age. We are grateful for your choices. We are not questioning them. We are not saying you're unjust in any way. We are happy that you have made the choices you have. We, we are so grateful. Our appreciation is bubbling over as we think about it and into love and devotion and honor and obedience so that we can be uh, those people on the ground who are here, your hands and feet, to do your will. So, Father, we thank you for those who are here, those who have listened and paid attention. We, we thank you for 
uh, where it is Truth Christian Church, and we're grateful for believers that are in every nation. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. It is with prayers and supplications, and we pray for every person in this world who is a believer, asking that you will protect us so that we can continue to do your will. Father, we also pray for unbelievers, that those that we could reach them, whether they be family members, friends, associates, that we can reach them with the gospel, the free gospel of grace, and that they will understand and come to embrace it just as we have. So all this we ask in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.